All right, and welcome to the Citizens of Podstown podcast. I'm your host, TJ Landermeyer. With me, as always, James O'Hara. Hello. Sean Hogan. Hi. Was that supposed to be Padstown? Like Padstown? Is like that the Padres? Yes. Pad- Padstown? Yeah, it's with Dad. an A, not an O. It's very confusing when it is used in conjunction with podcast. I feel like if you could pod, it's it's way too close to saying the pod. This isn't a podcast town. We obviously this is the Padres town where we watch Juan Soto and Josh Bell get yes. swept by the Dodgers. Yeah, so uh, I guess we should just jump right into it. Juan Soto no longer a Washington National. Josh Bell no longer a Washington National. And let's go over everybody else still a Washington National. Well, Hiro yeah, Adrianza so- is a, not no longer a Washington National. If that impacts your your day, nerd noted trade chip. Otherwise, that's it. <laughs> I think when we were talking about trade possibilities, he was like the last person. It was like, oh yeah, if he can actually like get on the field, they might move him. Yeah, and then he did. <laughs> And then they did. Even though he did terribly. It's not even how, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, Atlanta is just like, yeah, we know that guy. And we'll take him back. But Nelson Cruz, still a Washington National. All yes. of the bullpen pieces, still Washington Nationals. Yes. I was surprised they didn't move C-Shack, to be honest. Like, he, he's cheap and has been fairly effective and can throw multiple innings. It just seems like the type of guy that, like, we would have killed for in 2019. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, not that he's like amazing, but not as somebody who's paid did a really good job of paying attention to the other trades because of you know the major one with the Nationals, uh, which we're now gonna we're just gonna filibuster into not talking about. Um, <laughs> then talk about Steve Cichek instead. You know, the person people cared about more. I mean, I don't think that many relievers really got dealt this year, yeah. which is very very odd. Um, it really seemed like on Tuesday that literally everyone was just hitting the refresh button on what was actually happening. Yeah. Between DC and San Diego. Yeah. And then suddenly it got to be like four o'clock and it was like, oh shit, we need to do something. And yeah. then you saw a flurry of trades. Which luckily they still had two hours left when it got to four o'clock. So yeah. <laughs> they, they pushed the deadline back. Um, I mean, the one positive you can say, I guess I'll stop filibustering, you could say for the trade for Soto is at least they did it early in the day. Um, what would have sucked is if they got up to like 5.55 and then all of a sudden it was like, or even like the dreaded 6.10. Oh, by the way, major news, you know, giant trade was, you know, announced, submitted right at 5.59 p.m. Mm-hmm. They're finishing it, but you know, Soto and, and Bell to the Padres or something like that would have sucked. So at least it was earlier in the day. Otherwise, I have no other positive reviews right now. <laughs> so the package to the Padres was Juan Soto and Josh Bell. From the Padres comes Mackenzie Gore, uh, who was kind of in the running for Rookie of the Year before his elbow started hurting him this year, and he's mm-hmm. Could be done for the year now. Uh, Robert, he's throwing uh, to on Friday. I think, oh, is he? Nice. And that's that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, Robert Hassel the third, 
CJ Abrams, who was basically filling in for Fernando Tatis for the first six months of the year. Yeah, was not not ready. It's very good prospect. Uh, was not ready for that fill in. He uh, jumped right from Double A, didn't he? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah it, it was definitely yeah. very reminiscent of Luis Garcia's 2020. We we're just like, well, we got to put somebody there. You're you're, <laughs> and unfortunately, our top guy right now at, at that position is you. So I guess you go there. Uh, then comes James uh, Wood, mm-hmm. uh, another pitcher in Yarlin Susana. Um, yeah. And then Luke Voigt, who has officially crossed Eric Cosmer off of his Christmas card list. <laughs> uh, my initial thought still matches my current thought. This return is the return that you get for Juan Soto. This is not yeah. the return that you get for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Yeah. Uh, and it's an interesting thing because it's the same kind of thing people felt with the trade last year with Trey Turner and Max Scherzer was that, well, Gray and Ruiz and one of the other, you know, Carrillo probably is what you would want for Trey Turner. So I guess that just means Scherzer is going to adjust Donovan Casey and he's not, you know, or Carrillo. Like one of those two extra throw-ins was there for Scherzer. And you're like, you know, I know it was only half a season, but half a season of Max Scherzer feels like it should be get you slightly more than two just random throw into at best are going to be just organization depth filler guys. I think the technical term is slapdicks. Yeah. Slapdick prospects. <laughs> uh, as, yeah. well, I don't, I don't want to call people slapdick prospects because ever since then Blake Snell has sucked. So who knows? It could be a bad sign. It could be a bad sign for your personal life. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Not only is this, the return for Juan Soto. This, even this just for Juan Soto isn't necessarily the blow you away trade that isn't available in December. If you want to move him then. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. it's hard to say exactly how much more. I, I think Susana would have probably come out of the package, but he's also, you know, I don't think he would have had any throw in the, the tough one really would have been if you could get somebody like Wood. Who hasn't? Who looks very projectable, but hasn't quite had that many plate appearances yet, since you're not that far into the season. Mm-hmm. That they would be willing to include him still, and then you'd say, "Oh, well, maybe if you get to the end of the season and he they have a little more data on him, and they're like, no, this guy, he's untouchable." Similar to how it was kind of surprising the Nats fans how early Juan Soto was made untouchable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I know we had said on this podcast, and I'd said on Twitter, like, "Oh, you know." Trade him. He's in barely. He's in low A. He's 19 or 18. Just trade him for JT Real Muto. You need a catcher. You don't want to keep watching about weeders. And then all of a sudden, you can't trade Robles. Yeah, you can't trade. They say can't, it's like fine if you don't want to trade Robles, don't trade Robles. But why not trade Soto? Like there's no way he's going to be here anytime soon. And then of course he came up that year. So uh, that is the risk you run if you have a little bit more of that time. Is you know maybe that that person who was a little bit projectable is now more of a sure thing. They refuse to include him. Um, I, I think it would have been close. Obviously we can't say for sure though, uh, but it is interesting. It's not bad. I would definitely say it really just depends on exactly which evaluators you're reading. Uh, yeah. that, and I think that's the, the big issue for the nationals here is just with how good and how young Juan Soto was that, all of these guys 
if you're reading the positives only, it sounds like a great deal. If you look at any of the negatives, you're going to start questioning why you would have traded somebody like Juan Soto for any of them. So, Well, and even not just the positives and negatives, but just knowing how many of these guys are highly touted come up to the majors and not even aren't all-stars, but aren't, you know, regular everyday major league guys Mm -hmm. that you could suddenly turn around and two or three of these guys don't become major leaguers. This trade is substantially worse. Right. Well, and I mean that that's a big part of it. I think the biggest part of how you see the trade, how the trade will be seen will come in two years. If Juan Soto, I think we talked about it before, if Juan Soto makes it to free agency, the Padres with all that they have going on, they don't sign him to an extension and he gets to, you know, he goes to free agency and the Nats have a chance, you know, one of the Nats have a chance to bid on him, which I think they should because Patrick Corbin's contract would be coming off the books. The only contract they would have at that point was Strasburg. Uh, and you'd have all these young, if some of these young players are coming up, you'd have a lot of spots filled with pretty cheap players. You know, you'd be able to give Soto, you know, the slightly bigger deal that we talked about last time and people have talked about on Twitter uh, to make it so he could stay. I think it's a distinct possibility. But even if you don't take a shot at him, if Soto makes it to free agency, the Padres don't get him to extension. That at least validates what the Nationals were saying was the main reason why they did this is that they did not believe he would sign an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, then I think at the very least, regardless of what the players you get in return turn out to be, based on what you saw of them now, what people thought of them now, I would say that's at least a meh. It's like, fine, okay, you made a trade, you got a good value back You know, at the time, you were correct in your analysis of why the trade needed to be made, fine. And then from there, you build up on, oh, you get a positive for each of these guys that becomes a regular starter. You get a bigger positive if any of them become a big star. Uh, you get an even bigger positive, gigantic positive, if you also re-sign Juan Soto and you just have that little two-year blip uh, with the Padres that we can all forget about You know, in 15 years once his contract expires. Nobody will really care that, oh, for two of those years he was technically a Padre. It's like, who cares? So, uh, yeah, I, I think this can work out for them, but that's that first diff is pretty big because this, you know, they were very sure now, but a lot can happen in two years. Yeah. Um, you know, because that was a big thing with like Steven Strasburg, who also had Scott Boris as an agent. Nobody even thought there was a remote chance that he would ever sign an extension with Washington, that he wouldn't just go to free agency. Um, you know, and that the Nats signing of Max Scherzer in 2015. Uh, when Jordan Zimmerman was going to be a free agent that year, and then Strasburg was anticipated to be a free agent the next year, 2016, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, that was what it's seen. It's like, oh, they got Scherzer. They were willing to give him that money because that was insurance because they knew Zimmerman and, and Strasburg were probably going to move on. And it wasn't until spring, like May of his free agent year, all of a sudden, he signed a free, he signed an extension because he told Boris he didn't want to go to free agency anymore, yeah. and you know it's unlikely that that happens again with Juan Soto. But you are by trading him, you are running the risk that if he does suddenly make that decision, that decision is not with your team. That's with the that's with the Padres now. Yeah, although you send him to a team that has a lot of 
money tied up long term. So at least theoretically, maybe they won't be able to sign him, and other teams may have been able to. That's true. Yeah, and I, I don't know for sure how much long the Mikado contract runs. Tatis still pays him a little under what he would have gotten, but it is still a good amount of money. We're not talking about any like the Atlanta extensions, which is it also infuriating for Nats fans that you know none of the Atlanta Stars agents seem to be able to do any good work whatsoever and just <laughs> keep letting, you know. It's like I, I think at this at this point it's feeling like you know, you're a fan of one of the other teams in the uh, oh, AFC East watching the Patriots keep getting Brady to sign for tiny deals and all these other guys signing for very low contracts so they can get a bunch of stars under the cap. And just like, why? Please just feel actually to go for the money that you should be paid so that we can have a chance. Uh, Machado is 10 years. From 2019. And he can opt out after next season. Yeah, he yeah. can opt out after five. Which is curious timing. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, he's he'll be 32 at that point. I mean, if he keeps on playing the way he's been playing, maybe. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, the package in all, I mean, you know, they did get kind of a, a big range of guys with a lot of upside, but also guys with pretty high floors too. So, you know, I don't think that we're going to get a situation, at least knock on wood, where you don't end up with any contributors or any useful guys. I mean, like Mackenzie Gore has already shown, you know, glimpses of brilliance and he, uh, he kind of came back down to earth after the start, but uh, a lot of people sort of think that maybe he was trying to pitch through an injury and that's why he uh, started getting banged around. But I mean, he's still only, 23 and recently was the best pitching prospect at baseball. So, I mean, keeping him on the mound is not always going to be the easiest thing, but I mean, he's truly got ace potential if they can do that. And then, I mean, Abrams between Abrams and Hassel, they got two guys that have really high hit tools. And those are the types that, you know, even if you say the power doesn't come or uh, like with Hassel, you're not sure if he can really stick at center, you know, at least you're going to have, you know, you know, if, if Abrams, you know, you, you hope that he can develop some power and turn into Trey Turner, but, you know, even if he doesn't with, you know, elite speed, okay defense and uh, and a good hit tool, you know, you can still be an above average shortstop pretty soon. Um, yeah. And then Hassel's like, if he only hits and doesn't hit for power or if he doesn't quite fit in center, I mean, you know, then you probably have a second division corner outfielder, you know, maybe like a, Cole Calhoun type, but I mean, there's still plenty of value in there. And then you dream on James Wood and hope that he turns into Aaron Judge and not every other six seven guy. Yeah, I mean, and I would say that the big positive on Wood right now is that he is crushing it so far. In was it Instructs or is he in low? I think he's Instructs still, right? He's like Florida State League or whatever. I think he may have just gotten moved up to um, whatever our regular A is. Yeah, let me try to figure this out. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, okay. He's in low A. Yeah. yeah. So he was in low A for 50 games at the Padres before getting traded and had a WRC plus of 171. Uh, <laughs> that's coming off of a slugging percentage of 601. So... Um, and most most important, he was not striking out there, and he was still walking. Away. No, uh, that's the it, thing. It's like last year he struck out so much. Yeah, 
I mean, he he basically was running like a Bryce Harper 2015-2016 line in low A as a 19-year-old, uh, which is very good. So, uh, yeah, like you said, Sean, he's definitely the one that's the most kind of raw and like you can see it in his prospects report with fan graphs where it's like he's like 20 hit projected to 50, 20 game power projected 60, you know, so many things uh 30 field projected 55 so it's like so many things where it's just like i mean he's six seven he's very fast very athletic we think he probably can do all these things really well but also he's you know he's not necessarily showing it but in this case uh, we've seen so far it's you know only 230 play appearances but he's been backing it up on the on the field as well which you don't see with a lot of these guys who you know kind of fall away who are just too athletic but can't play baseball he has shown he can play baseball at least a little bit. And then Yarlan Susana, uh, he was a top international signing. Yeah, he was one of the best pitchers of the international class last year. And he's uh, he's sort of, re- I mean, more or less reached his physical uh, potential. He's already 6'6", 235 apparently. Uh, so he's a guy that, you know, could theoretically move quickly. You know, he's just a monster in size and he's been, you know, he was mowing down the minors. So, you know, there may not be a lot more projection there, but when you have a guy that's throwing cheese, throwing 102 miles an hour, what other projection is there that you're looking for anyways? So, well, and it looks like with control, I mean, he's walking three batters per nine. Now, granted, this is in, you know, instructs. I don't even know what CPX is supposed to stand for. (laughs) Complex. Complex, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a big fastball. It's interesting because it's not a pitching prospect that Nationals have really ever had. Kind of against the grain of every other team in Major League Baseball who seems to go for, you know, we'll get a guy who throws 100, around 100, and then maybe we'll teach some enough command and enough of a second pitch that they're useful, at least as a reliever. The Nationals have really never really gone for that. Uh, they've almost, they always want guys who have shown some pitch ability uh, before ahead of, you know, just raw velocity, spin rate, things like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do with that. And Luke Voigt. And Luke Voigt. <laughs> Which that that was a funny thing to see uh, play itself out. So initially, the trade included uh, Eric Hosmer, who. So it's probably what eleven thirty on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and the deal starting to come together, and we're starting to see things, you know, piecing together, and it's like, and Eric Hosmer is going to be in the deal, which at first blush anyone that I know was like, what the fuck is going on? Why are we taking salary back? Right. So it turns out they weren't going to take salary back. They were going to pay like just this year. Yeah. Like the rest of this year. And then the Padres are going to pay whatever was left on his contract. Like what? 39 million or something for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then at which point it starts to come out, by the way, Eric Hosmer has a partial no trade clause and the Nats are on it. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> because what do you know? He doesn't want to come play for a team that we all know is going to be shit. And then, you know, also plan a swamp and move his entire family across country, blah, blah, blah. So he, uh, he declined that. <laughs> to which the first thought was, well, does that mean the deal doesn't go through? And almost immediately after that, it was like, no, no, no. The deal is the deal's still good. We'll figure that part out, but it's yeah. still going through. And then almost immediately, they flip him to Boston. And then I don't know if they drew straws or what happened, but Luke Voigt becomes the man <laughs> who gets sent to Washington, who is now. I guess he's not the oldest man on the team because we still have Nelson Cruz, but. Yeah. For sure, Nelson Cruz is the oldest. <laughs> He's the oldest five guys on the team. Well, him, C-Sheck, Clifford, Doolittle, Will Harris. He may not even be the top ten. <laughs> Annabelle. Impressive. Yeah, so he's going he's gonna to come here and uh, hit some dingers and have us all be like, is this guy good? Is this guy not good? I'm not sure. For the next, I mean, honestly, he's he may have some trade value in the offseason. I mean, he got traded for the one for one for the Padres 2020 first round pick this past offseason. Of course, that was with an extra year of uh, uh, contract, but I mean, you know, I'm sure they could flip him for something next year if they wanted. So, do we know what his salary situation is? He's got one more year of oh, wait, maybe he's got multiple years. He is a free, oh, he's got he's got three more years, yeah. Two more years apart. Does not become a free agent until 2025. Got it. Okay. So, so he they have him for two more years of arbitration. This year was five and a half. So, I mean, you'd probably say like based seven. on eight and a half and yeah. 12 if you wanted to be generous, I think. Uh, so neither of them are really going to be that much to be oppressive. He is not, you know, the first baseman, not going to be anything amazing with glove he's very big he's not gonna be a great base runner but he is you know above average 110 115 this year 111 wrc plus last year 126 in 2019 um so i he's a pretty good bat uh so not i i think generally that was the idea we'll see if the nats hang on to him um because they don't really have anybody at first base so you know and he's not going to be making so much money that it would be weird, but you probably could, if he shows again next year that he's hitting well, you could probably, and somebody needs, you know, first base help again, you could probably flip him again for another guy, you know, close to Susanna, you know, somebody who throws hard, you know, pitcher who throws hard, doesn't really have anything else yet going for them, but you know, it wasn't completely off either. I'm looking at fan graphs to see where a 111 WRC plus falls for the Nationals this year. First. Second behind Juan Soto. Sorry, third behind Juan Soto. And Josh Bell. uh, Josh Bell. Yeah. Perfect. So So we brought back our best hitter. Awesome. Perfect. Well, that's what you want to do. I mean, that's just winning the trade. Just an extra throw-in. It's the, our, now we have the team, our team's best hitter. And he was just a throw-in to the trade. So as we're looking at this return, um, obviously Gore uh, was already major league ready. 
before his injury. Um, CJ Abrams is closer, but yeah. still needs some time. For sure. I'm it, I'm curious how long they're gonna let they gonna let CJ stay at AAA because unlike Luis Garcia, he was not putting up the numbers in the minors last year or you know the last couple of years or early this year. Did he start there and then get called up? I'm trying to double check. Um I think he went straight up this year like and then went there. back down. That went back down. Yeah, potentially. But yeah, so I mean his his triple A numbers this year is a one fifteen WRC plus double A last year was a 112 so he's doing fine but you know we've talked about this before you you want those prospects to be almost you know utterly dominating the league you don't want them just to be doing okay yeah. um you know it's perfectly fine to have a 115 wrc plus in the majors but if you have that in triple a that's probably going to be below 90 when you get up to the majors so he's not Luis Garcia, in comparison, was hitting you know 160, 180 in AAA before they finally got let him let him come up. Uh, so, yeah, that's the kind of thing you want to look for. So I could see them letting him stay there longer in AAA until he really is banging down the door. Um, but from what the quotes we've seen so far, it sounds like they're planning on him coming up maybe even next week uh, and moving Luis Garcia back to second base. Yeah. I mean, he's just shy of 22. Like, mm-hmm. he's still got time there. So. No, it, it definitely felt like somebody who was getting rushed a little bit yeah. uh, in terms of his development. It wasn't necessarily showing the results that were needed to be given, you know, getting moved up these next steps. So, um, but it is also hard to tell because, like you talked about, he does not have a lot of power. He's, more of an on-base guy, leadoff hitting type. So, you know, it's also hard to see, you know, exactly how well the stats have to be before you're like, okay, he knows how to get on base in the majors. So then looking at the rest of the individuals that came back prospect-wise, Hassel, uh, Susanna, we talked about is 18. Mm -hmm. Um, James Wood, we were talking about, is just now in um, low A, like, what kind of timelines are we looking at for them potentially making it to the majors? Hassel could probably be up in, you know, a year or two. Uh, I mean, he's, he's in high A right now, but he's a type of guy that I think could move pretty quickly. Um, you know, just sort of an all around solid type. Um, yeah. Wood is going to be a guy that unless he continues to, hit like he's hitting now which would be fantastic but you know if he you know starts to struggle a little bit you know that would probably put him on you know a longer time frame you know probably closer to you know 2025 beyond potentially um you know he obviously could move faster if all things break right but most likely you know you're going to be looking a couple years down the road for a guy like him because you know, honestly, it's just really hard to be good as a guy that big because you have a lot more strike zone. You got a lot, you know, it's a lot harder to, you know, get your swing moving when you're six seven two forty or whatever. Um, and Susana could be up anywhere between like next year and like seven years from now. You know, when you throw 102 <laughs> miles an hour, they can just put you in the bullpen and say, okay, you're just as good as Taylor Rainey already. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could also, you know, if they're going to keep him as a starter, you know, we could see him 
a long time from now. Too. Yeah, and some of this is difficult to project because obviously you try to base it off of you know what the current Nats you know front office would do, and who knows if they're even here by you know December, yeah. uh, or if the new ownership is in place and they you know bring in their own front office team. I'm not saying that that's guaranteed, but it's possible. Uh, but basing based off Mike Rizzo's front office, I, I'd be shocked if Susana would be up anytime soon. They really move their pitching prospects slowly. Uh, so in, until they really can show that they know what they're doing before, before moving up a level, um, you know, so I think a lot of other organizations probably would have had a guy like Cavalli up at some point this year. Um, yeah, obviously the Nats were not in any sort of contention, so it, they were afforded that luxury. But you know, I think Susanna's a ways off. I would say Hassel is an interesting one because they probably his performance at in the single A or high A in San Diego was probably good enough to warrant the Nats potentially you know starting him at double A here, uh, and they have not. But so I, I would want to try to see him get to double A at the, by the end of this year. Before really saying, you know, you or you're going to see him next year. Uh, I think if he doesn't hit that milestone at the end of this year, then it's probably going to be 2024 for him. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't, unless one of you know the power tool, you know, explodes out of nowhere. I think with just having a good hit ability, you're not. That's not something you're necessarily going to see like rocket launch up. Uh, but I do think Wood, I think, is somebody that we could suddenly see next year. Out of nowhere, uh, I think he's probably the best prospect. Uh, to of that group, I think Wood is probably the one I would say is probably the most likely to suddenly appear next year before you know we expect it. Okay. Well, since we're on the topic of prospects and when they could possibly be here, since we last recorded, the MLB draft has happened. Yes. The Nationals sitting pretty with the number five pick. <laughs> take Elijah Green out of the IMG Academy. And then I'm just going to turn this right over to Sean and let you have at it. <clears throat> All right. So Elijah Green, a uh, potential five-tool uh, five outfielder, uh, probably the at least as things stand, the worst organization to that they could have drafted him as a team that is very bad at player development because uh, he's one of the most raw players of, you know, the elite guys in the draft. But I mean, he's got everything that you can dream on and prospect. I mean, he can, you know, potentially be a 30, 30 center fielder. That would be great. I mean, obviously there's a ton of risk in his game um, and with any high school batter, especially, but um, I mean, he could be a really good one. Uh, we will see. Okay. Um, I also like the pitcher that they got uh, second round, Bennett. Um, he's a lefty. He's, I think he's got enough stuff to kind of bust through the mold that they always pick in the second round. They always pick a pitcher in the second round that is like a f- potential fourth or fifth starter. You know, everybody from like, I mean, I don't know if these are all second round picks, but like, Austin Voth, Will Crow, you know, kind of that mold. Cole Henry. And some guys bust through and, you know, like Cole Henry, you know, maybe better than that. But I kind of hope that uh, that Bennett can be better than that. He's at least lefty and not a righty like all the other ones. Um, 
but the knock on him is that he's not as good against lefties as you would expect for a lefty. Hmm. Tricky. And then he's out of Oklahoma, so yeah. a teammate of Kate Cavalli. Hmm. Um, so then third round, Trey Lipscomb out of Tennessee. Yeah, so that was kind of a strange one because he was a senior and they gave him the full slot amount as a senior. Um, I mean, he does have – I mean, he's he's a legitimate prospect. He's not a, you know, your regular senior sign, uh-huh. I guess. Um, he, I guess he probably could have come back uh, maybe with his COVID year, um, maybe for a fifth year. Yeah. Yeah, because he played – yeah, he only played four there. I mean, he put up monster uh, power numbers this year. He didn't really play before this season. Um, you know, before this year, he had only played. He had less than looks like less than a hundred plate appearances total yeah. in his first three seasons. Wow. And then this year, he hit twenty-two home runs with eighty-four. Yeah, runs. I think it was SEC so, Player of the Year, right? Yeah, yeah, for the number so, one yeah. Tennessee. Uh, so who their bread and butter was offense. So he was the best offensive player on the best offensive team in college baseball last year. Uh, I the other thing either he might have had COVID eligibility. The other thing is you know Kumar Rocker. I mean he's not Kumar Rocker level uh, going to this year, but Rocker did kind of show that you could not go back to college, hit the indie ball route, you know have a couple of you know show out a little bit and then get <laughs> drafted higher than you were the year before coming out of college. Uh, where I think Rocker was now would have been senior age, right? He's like 22 now. Yeah. So I think especially since uh, Lipscomb only had one year as a starter, uh, you definitely could have seen if the Nats tried to lowball him, he'd say, all right, you know, screw it. I'm not going to sign. I'll go to Indie Ball and, you know, prove there that my year in college this year wasn't a fluke. And then I bet I get drafted as high, if not maybe even higher. I think if he was able to go to uh, any league and kind of show out those stats again, there'd probably be even higher interest in him. Uh, so I think the Nats probably calculated that, you know, why not, you know, why try to save $200,000 here and risk him not signing, just give him the slot. He'll say yes. And he's probably a better prospect than this. And so then this slot is saying, so we're saving money that way anyways. All right, so how far down this list should we go, Sean? So, uh, I mean, I can just skip around to guys. Okay. Um, so the fourth-round guy is a high school outfielder. Um, who's He's very fast, and who knows if he can do any anything else. So uh, apparently he's got a little bit of power. We'll see. Uh, those, again, we're the, not the organization that's been good at developing those types, but uh, whatever. Uh, the guy kind of outside of the top couple rounds that I like the most is uh, the sixth-rounder, uh, Nathaniel Ochoa Leva. He's a shortstop out of Canada. Um, and, well, Keith Law put like a – I don't want to say – comp isn't the right term, but a, uh, a Corey Seager hmm. mini comp to him. You know, it's like he's got, he's got that kind of frame, um, and he's, you know, sort of got – some of the, uh, you know, some of the hit the hitting skills that you like to see, um, and then it may just be because he, uh, you know, because he's playing in Canada. Or I, I assume he was playing in Canada because he's Canadian. 
Uh, it may that may have just been that he didn't, you know, face the highest level of uh, you know opposition or whatever, which is why he kind of slid. But I mean, from everything I've seen on him, he's actually looked pretty good. So I mean, it's something that's not really the Nats' mo to go for like even even like their high school guys that they've drafted outside of the top like three or four rounds in the past have tended to be like, oh, this guy's gonna be a really good fielder, but he can't hit. You know, this is one of the first ones that it's like, yeah, he actually like has upside. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, like, I don't, you know, he's not like the number one prospect or anything, but he's someone that as a draft nerd, you know, was somewhat exciting to me at least. Nice. Let's see. And Marquise Grissom Jr., I was going to say, I see. He's not actually good, but he is Marquise Grissom's son. I, I see we jumped on the junior train. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's anybody else. I don't think there was really anybody that was that exciting. I think they did sign somebody. Yeah, they did sign one high school kid in the 12th round for overslot, like, enough that it uh, cost against the bonus pool. But I don't know anything about him. Actually, no, they signed two, 11th and 12th rounds. Well, one was a college guy. So, I didn't look that far. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's always exciting to take somebody like Elijah Green who, like, holy shit, they could be crazy good. But knowing our development system really worries me that you just spent the number five overall pick on something that may not come to fruition because you guys won't put the right resources into player development. Yeah. I am happier with him than I I saw us tied to Parada, who is the catcher from Georgia Tech mm-hmm. a lot. And I don't really like drafting college catchers i mean like obviously most of your catchers are going to be college catchers but like i don't really like drafting them with first round picks in general more often than not i think just the wear and tear on them kills you know especially a guy like him who's like a bat first kind of guy it's like the wear and tear is what knocks it out and unless you have a really special bat that can play at first or left field or dh it's usually not what you want so the Nats took Elijah Green at five. Would you, looking at the next five or six guys, Jacob Berry, Cade Horton, Brooks Lee, Gavin Cross, Gabriel Hughes, Parada, Jace Jung, any of those guys that you would take over that? So probably not. It was sort of a weird inflection point because uh, based on how the top of the draft was looking, I was kind of expecting that the Nats were going to be able to choose between some combination of uh, Tamar Johnson, who went four, uh, Jackson Holiday, who went one, uh, Green, Barry, and Brooks Lee. I didn't really love Jacob Barry and Brooks Lee that much. I mean, I think they can both be solid. Um, Kate Horton was pretty far off the board. He had a really, 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 really good end of the year, but was awful at the beginning of the year. Um, and then, like, Gavin Cross, of course, I would have loved as a tech guy, but I think he just, just isn't quite up there and upside enough with the others. So 
I mean, based on how the top four went, I'd say Green was, uh, you know, the slam dunk pick. Um, if Tamar Johnson had fall, fallen to us, it would have been very interesting to me. He's he's kind of a weird, like he's pretty small. He's 5'7", or sorry, not 5'7", 5'10", mm-hmm. uh, but like kind of has a slight build, but he just rakes and, you know, has a little bit of pop for a guy as small as him. You know, you can, I could actually see him sort of turning into like a Pedroia type, uh, but he hits lefty. So like he's someone... It's it's kind of a weird trade off. It's like, well, do you want, you know, a slightly safer, even though he's not safe because he's still a high school shortstop second baseman, but you know, a slightly safer type of guy that can still be like an an all star or a guy like Elijah Green who could be, you know, an MVP or he could be, you know, not even make it to Triple A. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the other issue is that since they were picking a number five, that that's high enough that you don't really want to just be taking somebody safe. Uh, that yeah. kind of seems like a waste. I, I think the best would have been, you know, if you knew for sure, the other reason is that you don't know for sure you're going to have the player development system you have now. So maybe, you know, in the future, you actually are able to help develop green a lot better than maybe you could have in the past. Uh, but if you were to say that, if I were to say that they had that player development system going forward, and also you had the ability to trade draft picks, this probably would have been a good draft for the Nats to have been able to trade down from five to like 12 or 13 and get one of the hitters, the college hitters uh, or pitchers who were available around there, who still would have you know been a good safety play, very talented hitters. Um, but then would have allowed them, you know, to pick up other draft capital as well. That wouldn't have been the worst idea, but both of those are impossible. So, uh, well, at least the second one is definitely impossible. So I think Elijah green then at that point is, is your best bet. And at least with him, it's like you you hope that he's with with his talent, he can succeed in spite of the lack of uh, player development. Yeah. Um, like Soto. And then, as someone who is very into the draft, was Kumar Rocker going at three as wild as it appeared at the time? Yeah. Uh, so well, it was a weird draft. There was no pitching. In the, like in the top half of the first round, like most most of like the draft people's boards, it was like the first pitcher was maybe like 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so it's something that if, you know, I guess they have, you know, their people saw him a, you know, a couple times and they're like, all right, well, he is by far the best pitcher in this draft. And, you know, there's plenty of hitters. We can get another hitter later, but we want the best pitcher in the draft. And they knew that they could uh, – save money on him. They signed him for um, for two and a half million under slot. And then I think they picked up another high, high end guy. And I think that's actually the really smart way to do it is, you know, you just sort of grab, you know, another guy a little bit later on that falls because of their uh, bonus demands. Uh, I'm trying to find who they got. Yeah. He's a Michigan high school pitcher. I know that I can't remember his, his yeah. name, um, but was all, so he was a guy who was projected, Talent-wise, he could be like a, a, a top, you know, twenty pick. Not quite high, you know, not quite top ten. So probably between like ten to twenty. Uh, and the thought was just that he had a very strong commitment to the college he had picked, which I can't remember which one it is. Michigan, uh, wait, Brock uh, Porter. Well, Brock Porter. Michigan. Thank you. Clemson. 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 Um, because I think he was also going to be able to play football at Clemson. 
along with baseball. Um, so it was going to have to take like a huge bonus. And it, the, the incredible thing is the Rangers taking uh, Rocker at three, and then they didn't have their second or third round picks yeah. uh, because of the free signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon this past off season. So they basically had to hope that nobody would try to touch this guy for three rounds and let him get yeah. all the way to them in the fourth round where they knew they could go so far over slot because they're going to bring Rocker in so far under slot um, that they could they could do that. Uh, it was a pretty good move. Um, I think they probably got two of the five best pitchers in the draft uh, in the first and the fourth round without having yeah. a second or third round pick, which is pretty incredible. Uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, Sean, because the kind of the way you describe that with you know what the perception was versus the reality of I think three different pitchers were drafted in the top ten picks when it was expected that none would be. Uh, it you whether it's something we see a lot more in the NFL draft where teams kind of want that position, especially with quarterbacks, and they overdraft guys that talent wise would tell you never to draft them there. But you're like, well, we need a quarterback and you're at the top of the draft, you get a quarterback. So I guess we'll just get this quarterback. Uh, don't, I don't think you see that quite as often with baseball, uh, but also you, you don't necessarily see as imbalanced. You know, this is one of, this was one of the more imbalanced looking drafts for baseball that I've seen in a while. So it's too bad. It wasn't last year when the angels drafted only pitchers and they'd be like, well, how can we, how can we draft a pitcher if there's no pitchers? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't them this year. No, I'm looking at the uh, the MLB ranks here. So Brock Porter, ranked number 11 talent wise, went with pick 109. Nobody else in the top 30 went higher than 66th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll see these guys in seven years. <laughs> when we're playing, when we're living on the moon, playing moon ball. Uh, I mean, I guess we should touch on the the actual major league nationals over the last couple should, of. Should we? Eh, I mean, I don't think there's anything interesting to talk about. Oh, that's <laughs> the problem. I think that's going to be the case for the next two and a half years. Uh, yeah. Patrick Corbin still on pace in the chase for 20. Uh, the only thing that could disrupt that is the Nats being jerks and not letting him start games near the end of the year so that he doesn't get there. Well, they've already started down that path after his last start. Oh yeah. And you started getting, well, you started getting can the, you call, can you call the start when you don't make it through an inning? Uh, what yeah. are, I thought he was an yeah, opener. I was going to say, what do we call those openers? There we go. Um, well, I, that would be the dream. So they just said Patrick Corbin is now a strictly an opener. So now we're going to try to get 30 losses. <laughs> no, essentially Davey after the game was like, yeah, we're going to have to fucking look at this because two thirds of an inning twice in a row doesn't play. <laughs> Well, according to Fangraphs, where he's positive value and he's just extremely unlucky. What? I'm sorry. What? Yeah, that was. This is amazing. Travis... Seven point oh two ERA, six point one three xERA, four point nine six FIP, four point one four xFIP. I refuse to point four WAR. I mean, 
it, it's absurd. I, it's basically it's just because he hasn't given up quite. He's getting crushed, but not that many are becoming home runs. Like it, it's not a. I mean, it's a very high home run to fly ball ratio rate of seventeen percent, but it's not absurd. Uh, and then if you're getting hit all the time that doesn't show up in FIP as walks or strikeouts. So then it doesn't, you know, his strikeout rate is eight, three, two per nine walk rate, 3.26 per nine. So all these are bad numbers, but not horrifyingly bad numbers, which is what every other number he has would suggest. Um, and it, it was just Travis Soshik of fan graphs, like put out a tweet, like, Oh, he's just getting, you know, by these other views, by other stats, he's just having extremely bad luck. And it's like, that's not extremely bad luck. He just, you are looking at a stat that cannot capture why he is terrible. Yeah. For these reasons. What is, what is his baseball reference for? Negative two and a half. You are much better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure baseball perspectives is one. Pretty reliant on FIP, right? Yeah. Yeah, Fangraphs is fit. Mm. Yep. Oh. Bye, James. <laughs> so, do we think he meant to downsize the screen and didn't? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure he did the exact same thing as I did. God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's okay. T- I did that in the green room, uh, James. Don't worry. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what happened. I think it just like somehow hit back, even though it was nowhere close to that screen. So, I mean, mine says it's still recording. So, all right. I don't know what everybody else is at the top of the screen yeah, says. Let me see. I'm Let's looking at the recordings um, now. It doesn't say there's an error or anything. So, okay. So we can keep trying to keep going, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so what I was gonna say, I was gonna try to look at baseball prospectus's DRA, uh, since like you said. Yep, Fangraphs is fit base and um, uh, baseball references runs against based. So that one was a bit more DRA. It's a little bit closer to runs events, uh, runs against, but they have some extra formula stuff in there to try to get a better idea of you know exactly how bad, good or bad you are in terms of contact. So like. You know, the classic example is they do DRA is probably the best at trying to capture why Tanner Rorick was good between 2015, 2014 and 2017, which I don't think either the fan graphs especially does not. But I think even baseball reference has trouble sometimes with capturing, you know, exactly why and how he was good. Um, and I try to see while stalling for time, if I can get it to show up with Patrick Corbin for me. Uh, they do not have minus the best 1. one. wins above replacement player at Baseball Pro. Nice. Uh, yeah, DRA of 6.05. 6.05, DRA minus of 138, which means he's 38% worse than an average pitcher. And that's all I can say is that's it? I was going to say that yeah. sounds low. So, I mean, it's amazing that by Fangraph's war, Patrick Corbin was the second best pitcher on the team. And by warp, he is by far the worst pitcher on the team. Like, it's not even close how much worse. Yeah, he's at negative 1.1. 1. 1. 
The next worst is Eric, Eric Fetty at negative 0.2, who interestingly, by Fangraphs War, is the best pitcher on the team. <laughs> uh, so, not a great not a great way of using Fangraphs War. Uh, and it was hilarious to see somebody make a tweet about it and like draw attention to the fact that they had Corbin as positive. It's like I would not have done that if I were you, no. especially if you worked for Fangraphs. Yeah. I'd be trying to hide it. Like you, you tried to look at the Nats pitching leadover page, it would just say, you know, page not found. No, Sorry. that's when you uh that's when you start to adjust the the calculation right. there. What was the what was the stat that they essentially started with the Phillies rotation? And then once that came up as like this is a this is a good set of pitchers, like then they applied it to everybody else. The Phillies rotation, I'm not I sure. It's the Phillies rotation. Well, like in 2010 or something? I think so. Uh, like Roy Halliday? No idea. Halliday, Hamels, HH something? That's a long time ago. Yeah. Who's to remember? I'm just uh, yeah, I mean, that Marco Gonzalez is below Patrick Corbin and, and uh, Warp because he has a 3.98 ERA. He's only 7 and 11. Yeah. So it's not, you know, generally it's a stat you want it to be. You, you don't want it to just tell you exactly what you would expect all the time. You want some surprises. I would categorize this as potentially too big of a surprise that would, that would cause you to, you know, have some reflection on it and try to figure out whether it really is matching up with the reality that you're seeing. Um, but it is, I technically by war right now, he's better than he was last year, which is bonkers. <laughs> even though last year was terrible. I, I can't imagine this was even any better. It's... So I mean, I'm just looking at other... there's nothing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the major issue, though, is just that none of the young pitchers are really knocking on the door to get an opportunity. Um, I mean, you could call up Kate Cavalli if you want. He is probably polished enough, but he's not really doing that well in AAA to justify it. Um, his last three starts, I, really what concerns me is his last three starts. He only has three strikeouts, four stri- three strikeouts in five innings, four strikeouts in four innings, and four strikeouts in five innings, uh, which is not really want, what you want to see from a guy who should be you know, based on his stuff to command ratio. He should be a guy who's getting very high strikeout totals. That might also go along with some high walk totals. Uh, he did have high walks with three, one, and three in his last three games. So he's not really showing right now that you have to bring him up to the major leagues. Uh, if anything, I would say this is more concerning that he's going the wrong way development-wise rather than coming up. Um, I haven't looked at Cole Henry, but they, I think Cole Henry's still in Double A, right? Or no, seen Triple A? I think he came up to Triple A for a couple starts and then got hurt. And I think it's kind of a they were going to limit his innings anyways. So yeah. I think they're kind of easing him back, you know, in, you know, uh, I don't know, if, like simulated games, the right term, but you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And then they'll hopefully bring him back later. But, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. So he hasn't pitched since June. So you know, it, Rochester's even worse than the Nats. They've lost like 15 in a row, right? Yeah. Well, actually, so, well, they're not worse on the year, I guess, but they're worse right now. So, uh, so it's not like you're really anyone. Jackson Rutledge is still in uh, Wilmington. So 
I, I they don't have any pitching prospects that are really, you know, unless Mackenzie Gore makes up fairly miraculous a cut recovery. Uh, there's not really any pitchers. I want to say prospects. There's like no pitchers at all that you're really going to say like oh, this guy will start instead and be able to take in take on the innings that Corbin is. So not that he's taking on any in the last couple starts, but. It's him or you get another guy like Corey Abbott. You know, you call up, uh, let me know who's in AAA. You call up uh, Adon again for Adon. Or like Jeffrey Rodriguez, Logan Verrett, Colome, one of those guys. I mean, the real question is at this point, like, why does it matter to replace him this year at least? It doesn't, I mean, the what it does is that if he keeps going like not in the first inning and then you're making all these other guys have to cover for him and throw all these extra innings uh you know one it sucks for those players because like uh like it was abbott who is it who backed him up this last game um who the fuck knows one of those random pitchers that don't really matter that much but you know, this is probably their only opportunity to be in the major leagues. Uh, and it's unfortunate, you know, to he, I, whoever backed him up last time and through like two innings had to then get, he got sent back down and Mason Thompson was brought up again. Um, oh, I think it was Jordan. No, Reed Garrett, I think. Not that he was doing any well. Uh, whichever one it was, I don't really care. But, you know, it sucks for those guys because uh, they're going to have to throw like three innings because they're the guys who would have to do that if Corbin goes short and then they get sent down. They don't get as much a paycheck. They don't get to be in major leagues for as long as they could be otherwise. Uh, you know, you're taxing your bullpen. You, you don't really have any starters who are, you know, guaranteed guys going five plus innings in every start. So you can't really be affording to tax your bullpen like that. Uh, and you know, generally just demoralizing to the team in general. I mean, we know they're expected to be bad and lose all these games, but there's a difference between, yeah, you're probably going to lose, and you don't even you haven't even batted yet, and you've already lost this game. Yeah. Now, what if we just get him like a buddy starter, and it's just both yeah. of them go out and he starts and if he sucks it's like all right come on you come back i'll come through this game and you'll be good then we'll try so the like next what one. the rockies tried to do a couple of years ago when they're like oh, yeah. we're gonna have all of our starters for third four and then we're gonna have the other guys throw three yeah. it's like okay well yep. what if one of the game that's crushed <laughs> you have no other pitchers <laughs> yeah it it really only makes sense if everything goes perfectly and it you know for the rockies case uh in corbin's case the only reason you would do that is if you thought there was any hope of him improving, which I think at this point nobody has. Um, so, you know, if you have a buddy starter, just start, start that guy. Don't start Corbin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, so, I mean, really what it's going to come down to is just, do they find anybody worthy of starting these games in his place? And right now I think the answer is, I no, I don't think they have anybody like that in the organization. So, so. plus, if if he's not starting, then we're all going to get mad at you know other people instead of Patrick Corbett, which he's a pretty easy one to get mad at. Um, on the flip side of that, granted, you wouldn't do this during the season. Um, 
how bad is bad enough to negotiate a buyout? Uh, I mean, I, I would probably do it now. Um, I think it really depends on the sale. Uh, I could definitely see it being part of uh, selling the team that whoever's buying it. It's like, I don't want that contract on my ledger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just have the nat, have the learners just you know, pay them, cut them and, and pay the whole salary, which I think is allowed. I'm not 100% sure. That's what the uh, Cubs are doing with uh, Hayward. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. How does that um, work? And I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, with the luxury yeah. tax, did they say? I don't know. I assume it's probably just it counts against your luxury tax like you they were still on the payroll. Yeah. I don't think that it like spreads it out or anything like it does in the NHL if you buy somebody out. Since the contract, well, I guess it's still guaranteed in yeah. the NHL, but. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's easier to deal with it that way because we don't have a true buyout process. It's just a if just if you want to pay them, go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, it would make sense, though. That pretty much handles the Major League Nationals minute that we need to cover now yeah all right luis garcia is hitting pretty well not you know not nearly well enough to cover what he plays at defense at shortstop uh but hopefully that problem will be solved soon with abrams coming up and they can move him back to second base and punt cesar hernandez wherever who cares oh my Um, god luis garcia has two walks this year (laughs) 57 games yeah uh and that (laughs) that is the that's the real issue um Let's talk a little bit more about him, and to an even greater extent, Kevin Ruiz. Uh, both have good contact, good bat-to-ball work, and he can get the ball in play. Uh, and you can see that they they're good at using the whole field, at least so far, because we have not really seen you know super drastic shifts against either of them um, that you would see for other players, even right-handed hitters. So that is a positive. But right now, that it's very much like Susana as a pitcher, where you are bringing one tool and you need to bring at least one more to be a viable major leaguer. And that uh, you know on the offensive side, and that's either you can walk or a little bit, or you can hit for a little bit of power. And right now, Ruiz is really doing neither. Garcia is not quite hitting for enough power yet to really be able to overcome the fact that he's not walking at all. Um, so, you know, if they can bring one of those, then I think, you know, develop one of those. That's the thing they'll really key in on for Ruiz and Garcia's either bring more power or bring more on um, base, bring more walks. Uh, Ruiz, especially I'm surprised given his size is not able to get the, any power whatsoever behind his swings. It's the only interesting thing to watch for probably the next two months is if either those developments come to pass. And if Abrams can look better than he did in his, his Padres debut. Well, and in a similar note, uh, if Josiah Gary can start to put things really together on a consistent basis, because it seems like consistency is his biggest issue at this point now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think you'll you're looking at and probably at this point definitely profiling around a good three or four number three or number four pitcher in your rotation. Uh, and the key to that is that you just can't have these blow up games. Um, you know, we, you don't necessarily need him to have your know, low three ERA either if he's around a four ERA, uh, but kind of pitching to that each game. You know, your team can find ways to win, you know, half to two thirds of those if they have a good offense. Uh, you know, so for a good team, that, that'll be perfectly fine. Uh, you know, you'll have your better pitchers ahead of him where you're expecting to win two thirds or more of those games. You win like, you know, maybe half of his games pitching okay. And then, you know, you see what you can get with your, your lower four, you know, five starters. Um, but, had a game like he had a couple nights ago against the Phillies where you're giving up like four home runs. That can't happen. No. So. I mean, he's sitting on a home run per nine of almost two and a half. Yeah. That's lower than Edball. <laughs> 2.7. Uh, his home Weird runs per that. nine is creeping towards his walks per nine number. <laughs> oh. That's not great. But, I mean, if there's no, a time to be able to work that stuff out, it's now yeah. while the team is terrible. Go through these growing pains kind of at the same point with these guys and hope that they come out on the other side of it for the better. Yep. All right. I think that caps our Major League Nationals minute. Definitely. All right, what else is going on around the league? Uh, the Padres got their asses beat by the Dodgers all weekend. In case yeah, you were so wondering how Juan Soto and Josh Bell were doing, it was not a great. They had a really nice, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Introduction in game one yep. uh, against the Rockies, and everything after that was not good. Yeah, I mean, so the Padres... To, the, to their detriment at this point, have no chance at that division title unless the Dodgers completely collapse out of nowhere. And I, I can't imagine that happens to the Dodgers. I mean, they have too many. They have too much depth now? and talent. Yeah. Dodgers have just way too much depth and talent for them to be, you know, lose enough pieces that they would start losing that many games and, you know, let the Padres come back into it. Uh, so. Then the issue for the Padres is really trying to make sure they get that top wild card spot, because uh, if you get either the second or the third, you're looking in a much worse, not very enviable position, uh, and it's unfortunate for them, because really, if they were in the central or if they were in the central for sure, I think they'd be in first place. I think in the East they would have a very good shot of getting first place with against the Mets, Atlanta, or Philadelphia. Uh, but now sitting in the West, they have to they have to go to the wild card game, uh, and that's an interesting kind of view of you know how much they've invested in this team uh, versus what you'd expect. Uh, I think they haven't been in the playoffs recently, so well, they haven't been in the playoffs a lot recently, mm-hmm. so you would think, oh well, maybe there's will be a little bit of a happy to, just happy to be here. We've made a playoff spot again. Uh, but based on how much they've invested in this team the last couple of years, I think you need to expect 
you need to be presenting more results than just making it into the playoffs. Yes. At least this year, it's not a one game. True. You know, True. It's a best of three. But I, I got to say, though, watching that series this weekend, the stark difference between the pitching staffs, given what they've invested mm-hmm. both prospects and monetarily in San Diego and that yeah. pitching staff, and the fact that uh, – good pitching beats good hitting most of the time. Um, They just, they made that entire lineup look bad top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also discouraging to a point about viewing how you view the Mike Rizzo method. It's you, like we talked about this before is I don't know if you're really going to be able to find those starting pitchers anymore because there's so few teams really developing guys to be six inning star pitchers, star starting pitchers. Uh, You know, the Padres are bringing in all these guys and then, you know, some of them have been good. Uh, Darvish has been okay. Pretty good this year. Musgrove has been surprisingly good this year. That's worked out for them. But then Blake Snell has not been good uh, and hasn't really been good since he came to San Diego. Clevenger got healthy. Finally, uh, and has you know only kind of been okay. Hasn't really been the super pitcher that he was right before that trade. They had Denilson Lament, you know, completely collapsed since that surprise 2020. Uh, you know, they just traded for they traded for Manea at the start of the year. I thought they traded for mid year. I think it was. I think it was right at the yeah. beginning. It was like, right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, and he has been, you know, not that he was incredible before but he's been another step down from what he had done in 2021 so you know like you said tj you can see how much they've invested in that that pitching staff and it's not necessarily paying off for them as you would hope no uh you know the dodgers definitely looked a lot better so we'll see but you know pitching beats hitting if the mets can somehow make it to the playoffs with degrom and scherzer uh, and Edwin Diaz in the back of the bullpen, they have a lot of the pieces put together already to, you know, kind of replicate what the Nats were able to do yeah. in 2019. So uh, that's a huge if, I think, at this point, you know, based on Scherzer's age and recent, you know, kind of injury issues and especially DeGrom's significant injury issues. Yeah. I mean, the only thing um, that you could possibly hope for with that is that the the misguided thought of like, well, they got their injuries out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, because Scherzer was more known in his, particularly later in his Nats tenure, of it was typically August or September that he had an issue that then trailed into October as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him to go out in, you know, May through a good part of June, maybe that was better for him that he's kind of slid that schedule back a little bit. As far as Degrom, we will certainly need to see um he appeared to kind of run out of gas the other day uh, against the braves even though after the game he said he hadn't but it certainly looked like he deteriorated pretty quickly after a little after five yeah so in the other interesting team i think you would see from the playoffs i would mention with the cardinals uh if they can get into one of those spots just with you know having goldschmidt having arenado uh, having some decent pieces around them, like Dylan Carlson, you know, you, you can definitely see, you know, same with the Padres, 
Uh, the one thing is that the Dodge, you know, the Mets in particular on offense are not bringing any stars, so they need they need team hitting. So that requires at least five guys to hit well. Uh, in that sense, can tell you in the playoffs, it's it's even though you have a lot of good hitters, they could all not hit, and then you're you're getting nowhere. And you know, having one or two guys who are far and away great hitters who can try, can kind of carry you a little bit in the playoffs. Um, and you know, that's really what we saw again in 2019 with the nationals where it was basically, you know, a lot of it was just Rendon and Soto crushing it. And then Howie Kendrick showed up for a series, disappeared, show up for a series. Zimmerman would show up for a couple games. Eaton would show up for a couple games. Uh, and that was kind of all you needed to really put together enough of an offense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I was going to say the Dodgers, I know they have Mookie Betts, but, and Freeman, and I guess Trey Turner. So I, I guess the Dodgers probably have enough hitting star wise to probably, you know, to be covered on that front too. I mean, hell, I think um, Turner's been their best hitter outside of Betts all year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to, I tried to go look, try to make sure don't say anything ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, Freddie's 158, Betts 146, WRC Plus, Trey Turner 136, Will Smith 135, Kevin Lux 128. Yeah, so I mean, I think they'll be fine uh, on that front. I was thinking, you know, Bellinger and Turner have not been you know, close, and Muncy's been awful, but Bellinger and Turner have, you know, not really been able to meet what you'd expect from them, but they still have enough to kind of cover it from other areas, so. Uh, I think it could be a really interesting playoffs between those teams, between the Padres, Mets, the Dodgers, and you know, maybe an interesting one from Atlanta or the Cardinals, whether they can kind of put a run together. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it shakes out. I mean, looking at the standings, what is it just the wild cards really that we have a race for? I know the NL Central is was relatively close last I looked. Yeah. I mean, I would never give anything to the Mets. So, uh, I mean, they they have a pretty they had a great series this last weekend against the Braves, that really put them back at six and a half and kind of more in control. Uh, you know, now it takes it would take two bad series from the Mets and two good series from the Braves to even just to get that even, um, which is always nice to kind of have that that little padding. Uh, but I mean. It's same with the Red Sox until 2004. You know, the playing of other teams, we've seen this story from. It's like you, you got to really, basically the day before the end of the season, and they're still up five or six games, and you'd be like, yeah, I think they got this. <laughs> uh, uh, it, Atlanta has had some struggles, though. Uh, we've talked a lot about the weaknesses that the Phillies have, and they did not really fix them much with Noah Syndergaard and bringing David Robertson back, uh, which had the worst series season of his career the one year he was with philadelphia so i'm sure we all have high hopes that he'll somehow avoid doing that this year and Cindergard has been pretty meh not bad but not really like you know game changing in any regard so you know i think the mets are probably the most ones in danger but not really that much of a race um trying to look 
Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals-Brewers are close in terms of being two games apart, but... Yeah, both the Central Divisions are tight, which I think we kind of thought because both of those divisions aren't particularly great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue there is that the Cardinals-Brewers is close, but is it really that interesting? Um, You know, both the Cardinals and Brewers have some interesting pieces that you could say, hey, if those guys are hot at the right time, they, they can mess things up in the playoffs. But you're not really gonna you take them very seriously ahead of you know teams like the Mets, the Padres, or the Dodgers. So you know, and, and really at this point, you know, you have those division leaders. They have three wild cards, so it's really just you're looking at one team getting left out of the wild card. Either the either Atlanta, the Phillies, one of the Brewers or Cardinals, and the Padres are probably missing the playoffs. Um, so it's probably going to be the Phillies because it always is. So they do have seven games left against the Nats, whereas the uh, Atlanta and the Mets have six each. I'm but also sure this year there is the race for uh, the top two seeds because they get the bye essentially because mm-hmm. the third seed has to play uh, the best of three wild card, which I mean yeah. they have the home field advantage, so it's still good. But even then, not, yeah, that's not that much of a race. The, the Mets are up. Ten and a half, you know, nine and a half on the Cardinals for that, for seed two. Have you met but the then Mets? the Dodgers are five and a half ahead of the Mets for seed one. So, <laughs> but again, yeah, it is the Mets. It's safe for sure. But uh, you know, the way it looks right now, there's not that much intrigue. It's really kind of at the bottom, and it's between a lot of flawed teams that you're not really going to say, you know, that team's going to go anywhere no. when they make the playoffs. Well, um, and the NL East could get a lot less interesting in about a week because of the four game set that the Mets have against the Braves next week goes like the last one when mm-hmm. you're talking about the Braves are eight or nine games back at that point. And not to say it's over in August, but that's a, a pretty high hill to climb at that point. Yeah. No, I mean, the American league is definitely a lot more interesting. Uh, you know, the Astros and Yankees seem pretty safe at this point, but then, they have a pretty absurd, like, multi-way battle for you know three teams within two games of the AL Central lead who are also all within you know five games of all of the wild card contenders. So you have the Blue Jays, Rays, Orioles, Guardians, White Sox, uh, and Mariners all not currently in first place in their division. I'll, I'll include the Twins are in first place right now in the Central. Uh, who all have between 55 and 60 wins. Uh, so that could get to be a real bloodbath. It is disappointing, though, that they got rid of game 163 tiebreakers, and now this year we'll just do normal. You know, They have tiebreakers about like head-to-head or division record or whatever. I can't remember exactly what they are. Uh, so it won't be quite as chaotic as it could be having all those different teams tied, but uh, it is pretty great. Uh, it, it really makes you wonder why the Orioles would trade Trey Mancini because uh, they, they have a pretty legitimate so- shot here. Yeah. Um, I saw the Rays this weekend because I was in Detroit for um, with my dad for Lou Whitaker's retire- number retirement. The Rays looked like absolute garbage. <laughs> I mean, it ended up being a game that the Tigers won 9-1, to um, but that offense is dreadful right now 
I gotta say, it will be it would be hilarious for Baltimore to be the fourth AL East team to make the playoffs this year. When earlier yeah. this year we were looking at and it was Toronto, Tampa, and Boston were there, and Baltimore was like two thirds of the way down the list. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, I think I missed mentioning. Oh no, no, I did because yeah, it's all of them. So I mean, it's it's pretty great. That's what seven, eight teams uh, competing for a division, one division title, and three wild card spots. Yeah. So uh, that'll be a lot of sad fans uh, who are missing out. Included in that is the Mariners, who again have not made the playoffs since 2001. Uh, so I'm sure they'd be really happy to do it. They just missed last year. Uh, and they they would have been the third wild card last year if they had a third wild card. Can you imagine if they end up so, being the fourth wild card this time around? Have, yeah, that that would be pretty sad. Um, Orioles haven't made the playoffs in a while, but you know their their front office is trying not to. I'm sure their fans would like them to, and it it would be kind of fun in kind of a major league sense, the movie Major League, uh, to see. The, then make it anyways until Eliash and the front office to fuck off. We're in the playoffs. You know, who cares about you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stories there. The NL side, the only interesting one is the Phillies haven't made the playoffs since 2011, but who wants to see them make the playoffs? So, not me. I guess if you want to watch and root against them. Otherwise, not that interesting. All the interest is on the AL side this year. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, you have down to Milwaukee, and then you get to San Francisco at six and a half games back, and I'm like, no, I don't see that happening. No. So, like... No, the, the Giants are, are falling back, are playing basically what you would have expected last year, uh, and they just you know had a lot of guys suddenly have a career year, uh, and the problem with that is you only have a career year one year. <laughs> But we'll see. I mean, we last year everything seemed really certain uh, with the NL playoff picture, and then the Padres decided to make it interesting by just completely tanking. Um, so you never know one of these teams. You get the wrong injuries. You don't have the right depth to fill it, and then all of a sudden there's a giant hole opening up in the playoff spots, and everybody starts scrambling for them. So we'll see. How do we think Fernando Tatis is going to come back into this lineup? Is he going to need time, considering he hasn't hit a baseball in eight months? Probably. I would say so. Um, I think they'll still have him high in the lineup, but it it could present a problem for them. Uh, because I don't think you can hit him too low. Uh, just, you know, reputation and you're trying to keep face with everybody. But he could also, if you put him in the wrong spot, completely break, you know, ruin. If he starts slow really reduce the amount of runs you can score uh, by, you know, not getting to chain your hits up together correctly. So we'll see. Yeah. And he's been it's an interesting lineup to put together too. Cause it's like, you got Soto, Machado, Bell, Cronenworth, and Drury are kind of your big boppers. Then you got Profar's actually getting on base fairly well. So it's like, all right, well you can move Profar down. Who hits lead off? You put Soto at lead off. Put like Cronenworth lead off. You put Tatis there. I mean, maybe Tatis depends on how his power is doing when yeah. he comes back. So wrist injuries. 
We're always a crapshoot with that. So we shall see. But it, it'll be interesting regardless because he's already on the slow side of coming back. I feel like the the worst case scenario was he misses two-thirds of the season and we're already there. But he is, what, down at double-A right now? So it shouldn't be too long before he's back. I think we've officially talked about the Padres more than we have the Nationals. Oh, you did say this is Citizens of Padstown. Well, there we go. Padstown. Um, that's that's the intro uh, from now on. We're just going to draw an SD on the on the Citizens of Madstown logo. It'll be fine. All right. All right. Um, anything else we should cover before we get out of here? I think that's it. All right. <clears throat> then, until next time, we are ghosts. <laughs>